morning. You can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, before we jump into the sermon this morning, um, since I have the floor or the stage or whatever we want to call this, uh, I'm just going to say a quick thank you um, to some, well, to all of you, really. Um, many of you know that last week my grandfather passed away uh, in Pennsylvania, and um, I actually was up there this past week for a couple of days for his funeral and for um, some time with my family, and um, so many of you, uh, <coughs> sorry, so many of you just gave me your condolences and sent me a text or sent me an email or sent me an actual card in the mail. Who does that anymore? I got cards in the mail from some of you. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, that, that meant an awful lot to me. Uh, my grandfather was a, a great man. I loved him very much. And many of you just reached out to me in such loving ways. So thank you for that. Thank you for encouraging me and, and helping me through that. Um, one of our values here at Alliance is that we're better together. And I truly believe that the best times when we see that in action are when people are hurting, or when people are going through loss, or when people are going through challenges in their life. Um, in my years here at this church, I have seen time after time after time where people have rallied around somebody who's going through a difficult time. And um, I got to experience a little bit of that this week, so thank you um, so much for that. Thank you for being that for me and for my family, and thank you for being that for each other. Um, again, I get to see that from my perspective. We get to see that maybe a little bit more than you do, um, but we get to see how you guys truly are better together for each other. So thank you for that. Uh, if, if you're not feeling that way, if you're not feeling like you're connected or you're in relationships with other people in this church, um, man, let us help you. Let us help you get connected to a small group, to a class, to other believers who are going to encourage you and strengthen you and push you in your faith. Because we believe that we truly are better together when that happens, when we make ourselves available for it. Uh, and so if that's you, if you want to know more about that, please come speak to me, one of the pastors, somebody that you know here at the church, and we would love to help you get connected in that way. Um, but I just wanted to say a quick thank you for that. Uh, my grandfather, um, I, it's funny, you go, to your, you go to people's funerals and you learn things about them that you never knew. Uh, I learned this week that my grandfather had an eighth grade education. When, when he was done with eighth grade, my great-grandfather told him, okay, now you go get a job. So he never went to high school. Uh, he went and worked on a farm, and on that farm he met Jesus. He met Jesus through the people that worked on that farm who brought him to church, who helped him grow in his faith. Uh, and, and it was just a really neat story for me to kind of hear that. Um, many of you might feel like, and I feel like this sometimes, many of you f might feel like, I don't know enough to, to talk about Jesus. I'm not educated enough. I, don't, I haven't read enough of the Bible. I haven't gone to enough classes. I haven't done enough of those things to be able to be used by God. My grandfather was one of the wisest people I will ever, ever know. And that man loved Jesus, and he shared Jesus with everybody that would listen to him, with an eighth-grade education. And so never, ever, ever count yourselves out. Never, ever, ever think that you can't be used by God because of what formal training you do or don't have. If you love Jesus and you want to change the world around you, you can do it. You can do it with an eighth-grade education or 15 master's degrees. It doesn't matter. God can use you, and that's a, that's a lesson I learned this week, and that's just a side note. That's not even the sermon. We could just quit now, probably, and 
go home. But, but it's just something that struck me this week, and I knew I was going to have the opportunity to be up here and just share that with you, that I know some of us feel like, well, that's the pastor's job to teach and tell other people about Jesus. That's all of our jobs. If we're going to be a part of this thing together, we're all responsible for that. And it doesn't matter what you know or don't know, but if you're available, God can use you. So just something I learned, my, like I said, my grandfather was an amazing man. When I grow up, I want to be like him. Um, he was extremely wise and made great decisions and led his family well. Um, and so again, just thank you for uh, just being a support for me during that time. So now we'll jump into the sermon, all right? Now we're done with all that. We can jump into the sermon. Last week, Pastor Ron introduced this new series called Life Apps. Um, and we are, what we are doing is we are trying to take the words that we read in the Bible and then actually make them part of what we do in our daily lives. Because we believe that that's extremely important. We believe that that's what we're supposed to do if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. And so we are taking this idea of life apps, and we're using the, the picture or the image of an app on your phone. Because many of you use apps on your phone every single day, don't you? And those apps, they inform you, they encourage you, they help make you more efficient and more effective in your lives, right? And we believe that if we are willing to take the words that are written in the Bible and then actually apply them to who we are and how we act in our lives, that the same results should happen. That we should become better informed, that we should be more encouraged, that we should become more effective and more efficient in our lives because now we're living the kind of life that Jesus has for us, that Jesus wants for us. And when that happens, things change. And so last week, Pastor Ron introduced this idea of applying the Word of God. In these next few weeks, we are going to take specific things that we can then apply to our lives when we talk about this idea of life apps. Um, here, here's the thing. At the end of the day, we have to exercise our faith. We have to do something with our beliefs. If all we ever do is read the words on the page and do nothing with it, then we just sit around and we get big and lazy and unproductive. And that's not the kind of life that God has for us. And so we are, that's why we feel like this is so important to talk about this idea of exercising our faith and applying our faith to our lives. In fact, in our Camp 252 program that's going on right now in the other building, um, every month our kids learn a virtue, a biblical virtue, and they're actually called life apps. We've been calling them that for a couple of years now, that these kids are learning life apps. They're taking Bible stories and then talking about how they apply them with their brothers and sisters and with their parents and with their friends at school. And so we feel like this is so important. We're teaching four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds how to do this. And if they can learn how to do this, then we need to learn how to do this as well. And so that's why we're spending this time talking about this really, really important um, important subject. Now, one of the most difficult life apps that we are asked to apply throughout Scripture, and the one that we're going to talk about today, is the life app of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, man, forgiveness is hard, isn't it? Forgiveness is challenging at times, isn't it? Forgiveness is, is difficult for us. And why is that? Why is, why is forgiveness so difficult for us? I believe because for many of us, Forgiveness isn't always our natural response, is it? When somebody hurts us, when somebody does something to us, many times our natural response isn't to forgive them, is it? Our natural response is to get back at them, to hold bitterness towards them, to be angry with them, to, to exact revenge on them, to do something 
to them in order to even out what they've done to us. But, but forgiveness isn't, isn't supposed to be about that. Forgiveness is supposed to be about something so much more. And the other difficult thing about forgiveness is that I'd say nine times out of ten, forgiveness has a face, doesn't it? Forgiveness has a name. Forgiveness is a personal thing. It's something that happens between people. And when you start getting two different people involved, that's when things get weird and messy and they don't always make sense and they don't always work out neat and tidy and it doesn't work out like a 30-minute sitcom where there can be a conflict and you figure it out and you resolve it in in 15, 20 minutes and you've got it all figured out. Life doesn't work that way. And forgiveness is difficult for us at times. But at the end of the day, forgiveness is always, always worth it. I think the problem for many of us is that when, when forgiveness becomes a personal thing, many times it's easier to cut ties and walk away, isn't it? And so some of us have a long list of exes in our lives. When our boss does us wrong, when our boss hurts us with a decision that he or she makes finan- that hurts us financially or hurts us in our career, we move on to another career and that person becomes an ex-boss. When a friend says something behind our back, or does something that we don't like, we move on from that friendship and they become an ex-friend. When a spouse does something we don't like, many times we say, well, now they're my ex-wife or my ex-husband. And there are many times in our lives where it's just easier for us to cut ties and walk away than it is to try to reconcile and put a relationship back together. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are definitely times in our lives where we have to walk away whether it's an abusive thing or whether it's just it's a dangerous thing or whatever the case might be there are times when you are going to have to walk away from a relationship but i bet you could all think of some circumstance of some argument of something that happened in your life where if you think about it now you probably probably could have resolved that conflict would it have been easy no would it have been neat and tidy absolutely not would it have been worth it? I bet a lot of you said yeah, would say yes, it would have been worth it. It would have been worth it to pursue forgiveness rather than to cut ties and walk away. And so we have to choose to apply forgiveness to our lives. It's a decision we have to make almost on a daily basis. I believe that forgiveness is one of the most spiritual things that you and I can do in our lives. It's one of those... It, 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 It is all through Scripture. It is all through the life of Christ. It is all through the gospel is this thread of forgiveness. And so when we choose to apply forgiveness, when we choose to forgive others, I believe it's one of the most spiritual things that you and I can do with our lives. But we have to choose to do it. So how do we do it? How do we apply forgiveness? How do we make this part of who we are on an everyday basis? To help us kind of Um, be able to talk about applying forgiveness, I think it's important that we understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. I I heard this uh, podcast this week that talked about forgiveness, and they they gave this awesome list of what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. And I want to kind of go over some of those with you this morning, just because here's the thing. I think sometimes when forgiveness doesn't work out the way we think it should, it becomes easy for us to give up on it, right? And just say, well, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to put myself out there like that again. But maybe we don't have a good grasp, a good picture of what forgiveness truly is and what forgiveness is not. So let's look at a couple of things real quick. First thing, let's start with what forgiveness is not. First, 
Forgiveness is not approving, justifying, or excusing what someone has done. Forgiveness is not approving, justifying, or excusing what someone has done. A lot of us think that it is, isn't it? A lot of us think, I can't forgive that person because if I forgive them, then I'm excusing what they've done. Then I'm approving what they've done. And so we don't pursue forgiveness because we don't want them to think that we approve. But here's the thing, forgiveness is not approval of somebody else's actions. Forgiveness is not approval of what someone else has done. It's not excusing them. Second thing, forgiveness is not pretending that we are not hurt. Forgiveness is not pretending that we are not hurt. I think, again, a lot of us choose not to forgive because we don't want people to think that they haven't hurt us. Like, we want to protect that hurt sometimes. Forgiveness is not saying that we don't hurt. Forgiveness is not saying that we don't carry pain, that we don't carry some of the consequences of other people's actions. And so we need to understand that forgiveness is not pretending that we are not hurt. Next, forgiveness is not pardoning or releasing people from consequences. This is a really big one. There have been people in my life, people that have been very close to me, that have hurt me deeply. And I have had to choose whether or not I'm going to forgive them. And this is where I got stuck. This is where I got stuck. And I think this is where a lot of us get stuck. Is that we feel like if we forgive them, that they, all of a sudden they aren't going to have to pay the consequences of what they've done. And that's not true. Forgiving somebody does not release them from the consequences of their actions. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. And then finally, and this is an important one too, forgiveness is not necessarily reconciling with somebody else. Forgiveness is not necessarily reconciling with somebody else. There are people that you may have to forgive that are dangerous people, that are toxic people, that are people that would continue to hurt you if you tried to reconcile that relationship. And you have to choose that I'm going to forgive them, but I also have to understand that reconciliation may not be possible. There may also be somebody who hurt you years and years and years ago, and that person may have passed away. And so now reconciliation with that person isn't possible here on earth. And so we have to understand that forgiveness is not necessarily going to mean reconciliation every single time. And I think, again, some of, us carry that, some of us carry that around, like, well, if I forgive that person, then everything's going to go back to normal. Does everything go back to normal? No. Life still goes on. You still deal with the consequences of that. You still deal with the, the, the hurt that comes along with those things. And so we need to understand that forgiveness is not necessarily reconciling. So what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Two quick things that are going to help us this morning. First thing, forgiveness, <coughs> excuse me, Forgiveness is yielding my right to get even, punish, or return evil for evil. Now, come on, that's like our favorite part, isn't it? But forgiveness is yielding my right to get even. So I can't truly forgive somebody and then go back later to get even with them, can I? I can't truly forgive somebody and then go back and punish them again later, can I? Those two things can't work together. So forgiveness, true forgiveness, is yielding my right to get even. It's yielding my right to punish them. It's yielding my right to return evil for evil. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes, too. And then this last one, I love this, and this is where I want us to start today. Because I think this gives us the foundation for us to build on, and I love the way that this is written. Forgiveness is the reenactment of what Jesus has done for us. 
Forgiveness is the reenactment of what Jesus has done for us. If we call ourselves followers of Christ, if we have been changed by the gospel, if we have been changed by the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross, it is going to change us. And when that happens, we need to understand that when we forgive, we are simply reenacting what Jesus has already done for us. That's the foundation of forgiveness. If we are going to be followers of Christ, this is where we begin. And that's where I want us to start this morning as we look at this idea of applying forgiveness. What does applying forgiveness mean? The first thing, applying forgiveness means remembering who forgave you. It means remembering who forgave you. We have to start with who we are. We have to start with our own hearts and our own minds before we can actually start following through on forgiving others. And there are many, many places in Scripture where you could find a picture of this, where you could find examples of this, where somebody talks about the idea that we forgive because we have been forgiven. One of the best places I think we can find that is in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people that are in the church in the city of Ephesus, and he's trying to teach them how to live their lives for Jesus. And in the second half of Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul starts laying out all of these kind of rules and regulations. Here's what you need to do in order to follow Christ. And like Pastor Ron talked about last week, sometimes God puts those types of regulations in place not to kill your fun, not to kill your joy, but to protect you. And that's what Paul is trying to do in the verses leading up to verse 32. He's saying, hey, avoid these things. Because if you avoid these things, you're going to be a better person. And you're going to be more like Jesus if you avoid these things. And then he gets to verse 32. And this is what he says. He says, instead. So instead of all this other stuff that you could be pursuing. Instead of all this other stuff that you could be going after. Instead, be kind to each other. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Forgive each other, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. That's the foundation. That's where we begin to understand what forgiveness looks like. Because if we can understand, if we can grasp the idea of who we are and how much we have been forgiven by Jesus, it's going to begin to change how we treat other people, isn't it? So instead of choosing anger and bitterness, we choose forgiveness. But the reason why we choose forgiveness is the important part. We choose forgiveness because we have been forgiven by God through Christ, and that changes everything. That changes everything. Many of you in this room this morning have accepted that free gift of forgiveness from Jesus. You know what it, you know what it feels like. You, know, you understand what it's like to live as a forgiven person in the eyes of God. I hope that that is changing the way you live your life now. For some of you, you may not have any idea of what I'm talking about. You may wonder, what does it look like to be forgiven by God? What does it look like to put my faith and my trust in Jesus? To understand what Jesus did for me so that I can be in a right relationship with God. If that's you, man, I would love to speak to you when we're done this morning. There will, there will be people down front here that would love to spend time with you, talking to you, answering your questions, praying for you. We would love to tell you more about what that looks like. To accept that free gift of forgiveness and how that gift can truly change your life. Because we believe that that is the reality. 
that if we've been changed by Jesus, it's going to change how we live our lives. Think about it this way. When you were a kid, and let's say, let's say we're all five-year-olds again, all right? When you were five and you received a really nice birthday gift, and let's say we're all very selfish five-year-olds. I was a very selfish five-year-old, so we're just going to make all of you selfish five-year-olds. So let's say we're all selfish five-year-olds and we get, a nice, we get a really nice birthday gift, and our little brothers and sisters start coming around that birthday gift. What do we do? Don't touch that. Don't look at that. Don't breathe on that, right? Like, we don't want anybody coming near that gift. That's our gift. That's my toy. But as we grow older, as we gain more experience and more perspective on what it looks like to live our lives for Jesus, my hope is that as we grow older, we want to share the gifts that we receive with the people that are closest to us. Now, as a husband and as a father and as a friend, I'm hoping that I actually find joy in sharing the gifts that I receive with those that are closest to me. Because as our experience and as our perspective changes, it should begin to change the way that we treat other people, shouldn't it? And forgiveness works the same way. As we begin to mature, as we begin to understand how deeply we have been forgiven by God, we should want to share that forgiveness with the world around us, with the people who hurt us. Now, nowhere in today's sermon will you ever hear me say that this is easy. Five minutes and you're going to figure this out. It, it, it does not work that way. I get that. Forgiveness is long and it's messy and it doesn't make sense a lot of times and it doesn't work out the way we want. But it is always worth pursuing because we have been forgiven by God. We have been forgiven. And so applying forgiveness means that we remember who forgave us. And as we do that, that changes our lives. And so that brings us to the second part of Scripture that I want us to look at today. It's another passage from, um, from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, Paul begins to lay out what forgiveness looks like in our everyday lives. Here's the thing. The, Paul is writing to another group of people who have started the church, who have started the church in the city of Rome. And sometimes you look at the book of Romans and it can be very intimidating. It can be extremely intimidating. There's a lot of deep theological talk in it. Paul can kind of get your head spinning in circles the way he writes certain things. It's, it can be kind of confusing at times. It can take a really focused mind to sit down and figure out exactly what he's saying. But what I love about the book of Romans is that Paul spends the first half of the book of Romans talking about theology. Talking about this is why we believe what we believe. And he begins to build his case theologically for why these people should follow Christ. And then in the second half of the book of Romans, Paul says, okay, now if you buy into this, if you, are, if you are going to follow Christ, this is what your life should look like. And Paul begins to get really practical in the second half of the book of Romans. And that's where we pick it up in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Here's what Paul says. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. 
Do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now, these verses get really practical on how it is that we take the foundation of we've been forgiven by God, so we forgive. If that's our foundation, now how do we start making this part of our lives? This is what Paul talks about in these verses. So for the second part of the outline, let's just look at some of the things that Paul says in these verses. So applying forgiveness means that we remember that who has forgiven us. But then the second thing, applying forgiveness means that we have to be willing to let go of the details. It means being willing to let go of the details. Look at verses 17 and 18 again. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Don't pay back evil for evil. But that's so much more fun, isn't it? That's what we want to do, isn't it? When we are hurt, we want to hurt others, don't we? Never pay back evil for more evil. And then the last sentence in that verse, I think, is the key one. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. If, if we are holding on to the hurt and the pain and the anger and the bitterness of what somebody has done to us, are we ever going to truly experience peace? No. If we have a white-knuckle grip on that thing that that person said to me that one time, am I ever going to truly experience peace? No. We have to be willing to let go of the details. We have to be willing to not worry about paying back evil for evil, not clinging to the things that have hurt us, but doing all that we can to live at peace with everyone around us. Let's be honest. All of us can probably replay a situation in our minds where somebody has hurt us, can't we? We can remember the exact quotes that they used. We can remember the tone of their voice. We can remember the stupid shirt they were wearing that day. We can remember the dumb haircut that they had. I mean, we can, I mean, moment by moment, replay those situations in our minds. And we get stuck there, don't we? We get stuck in the hurt. We get stuck in the pain. We relive that situation time and time again. Why? Why? Why do we do that to ourselves? To make ourselves feel better for a, a moment? To try to think of a comeback we would have said five years ago in that conversation? Does that ever truly bring us peace to hold on to every little detail of what somebody has done to us? We have to be willing to let go of the details if we are truly going to experience forgiveness when we offer forgiveness to other people as well. So, Applying forgiveness means remembering who forgave us. Applying forgiveness means letting go of the details. The next thing kind of goes along with it. Applying forgiveness means leaving the payback for God. Leaving the payback for God. Look at verse 19 again. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Well, now Paul's just trying to take our fun away. Now Paul's just trying to ruin it, right? Never take revenge, never? But what if it feels good? What if I know that one little thing I can say to that person that I know is going to push their buttons and I know is going to get them going? I just, I just want to let that slip just once, right? 
Why on earth would Paul use a quote from the Lord saying, I will take revenge. I will take revenge. I will pay them back. Why would he do that? Maybe Paul and maybe God knows our hearts a little bit. Maybe God knows our intentions. Maybe God knows that our motivations aren't always pure when it comes to trying to reconcile our relationships with other people. Maybe God's a little cued into that. And if he is, if he knows that, then he's going to say, you know what? Let go of that. Let me take care of that. Because God's head is clear. God's heart is pure. And God is going to give the consequences of their actions in the way and in the timing that work best for God's plan and not ours. And man, that's hard to let go of, isn't it? Man, that's difficult to give up. Because again, just like we replay the details of how that person has hurt us, you better believe a lot of us replay how exactly we're going to get our revenge, don't we? The next time I'm in the room with them, I'm just going to ignore them, and I know that drives them nuts. And that's just going to get under their skin. The next time we're together, I'm going to ask this one question, and when I ask that question, I know what's going to happen. I know how they're going to respond, right? And we, just like we replay the details, we, replay, we, we begin to play out revenge in our minds, don't we? But just like with the details, where does that get us? It gets us a moment of feeling good. And it's not even the right kind of good, is it? It's an evil kind of good. It's a moment where we feel like, ha, we got the best of them. And then what do you go back to? You go right back to the pain and the anger and the bitterness that you had before. So why? Why hold on to your right to pay back? Why hold on to your right to get even when we can leave that and allow God to do that in his timing and in his way? And so <clears throat> applying forgiveness means remembering who forgave us. Applying forgiveness means letting go of the details. Applying forgiveness means leaving the payback to God. Because exchanging hurt for hurt gets us nowhere. Exchanging evil for evil does not resolve the bigger issues that we have with other people. And so we need to be willing to leave that to God. And then finally, Paul gets really, really practical. Now, these first three things that we've talked about are things that we probably do mostly in our minds and in our hearts, right? They're decisions that we make within ourselves. But now in verses 20 and 21, Paul gets really, really practical. And so what we learn here is that applying forgiveness means overcoming evil with good. And here's what Paul says in verse 20. Instead, all right, instead of holding on to the details, instead of trying to plan and plot your revenge, instead of those things, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. No thank you, right? <laughs> nope. They can feed themselves. If your enemies are thirsty, give them something to drink. Nope, there's a water fountain right over there. They can help themselves. Paul is asking us to do what most of us would consider the exact opposite of what we want to do for our enemies. Paul is asking us to show love and compassion and meet the needs of our enemies. Then he goes on to say this, When you do this, in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you. Conquer evil by doing good. 
man, that, this is like, the rest of this stuff, like, okay, I could probably process that in my mind, but now Paul's getting a little too personal. Now Paul's asking a little much of us, isn't he? So Paul is saying, the person that hurt you, go meet their needs. The person that upset you and said those awful things to you, what can you do to serve them and love them? Man, that's hard. But why would Paul ask us to do that? Why would Paul say, this is a good idea, you should do this? Because I think Paul understands the idea that if, if we choose to do nothing, then we let evil conquer us, don't we? If we choose to be reactive instead of proactive with the person that's hurt us, we are letting evil conquer us. We have to make a decision, a conscious decision, to pursue forgiveness. And if that means meeting the needs of the person who hurt us, so be it. And I don't know what that looks like. Obviously, like, taking a meal to your enemy might not work in your situation. I get that. But what can you do? What can you do to meet the needs of someone who's hurt you? Some of us have heard the expression that forgiveness is setting somebody free and then realizing that that person is yourself. I think that Paul is kind of alluding to that here, too, by saying that when we choose forgiveness, we not only set the other person free, we set ourselves free. We don't have to hold on to the anger and the bitterness and the rage that go along with those things. We have the opportunity to not only offer forgiveness to them, but to free ourselves from a lot of the stuff that comes along with it. Well, then Paul goes on, and we like this next part, right? Then Paul goes on and he says, In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Oh, can I help with that, Paul? Can I have a shovel? Can I take a few scoops and dump them on there? This sounds good, doesn't it? But here's the thing. I think Paul is talking about shame a little bit differently than maybe you and I think he is. I think for a lot of us, we think when Paul says dumping shame on their heads, Paul is not talking about dumping shame on somebody for the purpose of humiliating them. That is not the purpose of shame that Paul is talking about here. That's what we want to do. We want to humiliate the person that's hurt us. But I believe what Paul is saying here is when you meet the needs of your enemy, when you do something that meets the needs of those who have done something hurtful to you, and you dump burning coals of shame on their head, you are helping them understand and come to grips with what it is that they've done to you. This isn't about humiliation. This is about bringing to light what somebody has done to you. And in so doing, hopefully, they change their ways as well. So shame here is not about humiliation. In fact, shame here isn't necessarily a bad thing. Shame is bringing to light the things that need to change in that person's life. And so what do we do with the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12? How do we apply forgiveness to our lives? How do we make it part of who we are? Listen, I don't know the situations you're in. I don't know who you're in conflict with. I don't know who needs to be offered forgiveness in your life. And I don't know what it is you need to do to offer that forgiveness. But my prayer is that as we begin to do these things, as we begin to live out and apply this forgiveness, understand who we are, letting go of all the junk that's, that's associated with it, and meeting the needs and, and conquering evil with good, that God would not only change the hearts of the people we're forgiving, but that God would also change our hearts.
And He would make us more and more like Jesus. And when we do that, we become the kind of church that loves each other well. We become the kind of church that loves our neighbor well. And we become the kind of church that allows others to see the love of Christ through how it is that we treat each other. And so that's my prayer for us this week, is that we would be a people of forgiveness. I know it's hard. I know it's tough. I know it doesn't make sense. But what if we were willing to let go? What if we were willing to allow God to use us because we understand that we have been forgiven? Let me pray for us this morning. God, forgiveness is hard. God, we don't want to forgive sometimes. But God, I pray that you would give us the kind of heart that you would soften our hearts, that you would break down the, 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 the walls and the barriers in our hearts that keep us from forgiving others. God, may you speak to us. May we understand where we stand with you so that we can change the way we treat others. God, use us. God, begin with me. Begin with us in this room. And may we make a difference in the lives of the people that we encounter every single day. And may we choose forgiveness along the way. In your name we pray. Amen.